as you're having a seat and uh, as you're making your way back to your seats, make sure you said hi to somebody around you and greet some folks and make sure that they know that uh, who you are uh, this morning and say hi as we uh, get ready to get into God's word together. Psalm 90:12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's been a prayer during this uh, series that we've been looking at. Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time, because the days are evil. You know, when we, when we gather together in worship and when we gather uh, in the secret place of prayer with the Lord, um, he's teaching us to number our days. He's teaching us to have a, a heart of wisdom. wisdom. He's connecting us to him. Uh, how many of you uh, agree with this statement we said last week, we will never develop a deep prayer life from a posture of hurry? Anybody say amen to that? I mean, you know what it's like to be hurried. We run from one thing to another. Uh, our lives can very quickly get in that place, but we'll never develop a deep prayer life from a posture of hurry. I was kind of thinking about that on the way into church this morning, because though I was up very, very early, uh, I would, left my house a little bit later than I normally do, and I was driving a little faster than I normally do, and I just had this funny thought. I didn't get pulled over, in case you're wondering where this story goes, but I thought, what if I did get pulled over by a cop on the way to church, and then I have to explain to them, oh yeah, well, I'm going to a church service, and then, uh, you know, what if the pastor then ex- asked me, or not, the, the, the police officer asked me, like, uh, so what are you speaking on? And I would have to say, well, we're talking about prayer and hurry. Uh, that just was a funny thought to me or whatever. It didn't actually happen, but um, our preaching uh, during this end of summer and into the fall uh, has been all about prayer. We're encouraging you to pray like it matters because it does. When we learn to pray, God begins to work. And I, I don't always understand the when and the why and and what is it that moves God's heart but I do know that throughout history and even in recent days what we've been seeing as we're on our knees and we're asking God to move that stories are emerging of how he's working I was very encouraged to hear about the ESL classes that are starting up and running and ministering to lots of good people at that. There were God sightings throughout uh, this last week even as people came to me and just said, hey, God's doing things as I've been prayer walking my community. Uh, And not just that he's been doing stuff around me, he's doing stuff in me. He's, He's speaking to my heart in ways that maybe he hasn't for a long time. I've been encouraged to hear testimonies of prayer, testimonies of healing even in recent days. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said, and these, these were the verses that we looked at last week in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We started the first couple weeks of this series talking about prayer and mission. Uh, that seems appropriate as we're in a season where all kinds of ministries are getting started and different things are getting moving, but I really sense strongly that we needed to stop back, set back a little bit, and last week and this week, we're talking about the importance of being still, the importance of uh, understanding this connection, this negative correlation between prayer and hurry. Uh, this is one of the great challenges that we face in our modern face, fast-paced life is that we don't always know how to slow down. Uh, and so this message will build on what we call that fullness fulfillment principle that was introduced a few weeks ago, specifically underscoring the importance of slowing down for greater fullness 
That's where the fulfillment of the gospel actually comes, is when we are first filled with his presence, first filled with the things that he desires to download, and then he unleashes you in your world. But you gotta learn to be still. You gotta learn to pray. Jesus gave us tools for life, and he was not afraid to answer his disciples who asked, Lord, teach us to pray. That actually has become an an ongoing prayer in my life, and I encourage you to do the same. Lord, teach me to pray. I'm not done learning that. As we got this started last week, I thought it was important for me just to note with you again, there is a difference between being busy and being hurried. I gave you a quote from Rob Reamer who said, Jesus lived a busy life, but with an unhurried soul. And I really sensed in many of you, even as we were talking about this last, uh, last week, there's sort of this leaning in, there's this sort of, sort of desire that we all sense about, oh, to have an unhurried soul. That just sounds right. It just sounds good, but it sounds elusive. There's a, difference, it's be, there's a difference between being hurried and being busy. Busy is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I suppose it could be in some circumstances, but to give ourselves to things that matter, to engage people and relationships by loving and knowing well, to help the needy, to preach the gospel, to find joy in sacrifice, these can all be part of living a busy life but they also can be part of living a very full life. And the question that we're wrestling with over these weeks is can we do that, but at the pace of Jesus and with an unhurried soul? Perhaps a good question for me to ask you this morning would be this. What barriers are keeping you from really resting in Christ? What barriers are keeping you from resting in Jesus. And I'd like to connect the scripture from last week in Matthew 11 to another New Testament passage this week in Philippians 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. I'm going to read a handful of verses. We're going to kind of take a little bit of a, of a detoured approach to them, but I promise you we will be coming back uh, to uh, understand Philippians 4, a fairly familiar passage of scripture, but I trust you'll receive it with fresh ears and eyes and heart here this morning. So Philippians 4, 4 and following says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a good promise in verse seven. Verse eight goes on to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Another good promise in verse 9. May God have blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So if we're making an argument around this idea of prayer, it would sound kind of like this. Prayer matters, number one. It connects us to the heart of the Father. It connects us to the mission of Christ. It connects us to the, the power of the Spirit. Prayer invites the fullness of God's presence which changes the spiritual atmosphere and changes us. Prayer matters. 
So that's number one. Number two, Jesus invites. Prayer matters. Jesus invites. We are invited into his rest, and the invite goes out to those who are weary and burdened. I actually find that to be incredibly uh, encouraging today. And even why I sense the Holy Spirit kind of leading me to say, just invite people to pray because some of you are feeling the weariness. You're feeling the burden. That's part of life. And there's going to be seasons of life that you feel that very deeply, the invitation, even while you're feeling that from Christ is, come to me. We've we, we got to learn to do that if our prayer lives are going to be deep and powerful. Uh, the third thing is that we then respond so prayer matters, Jesus invites, we respond. Without the rest for our souls in his presence, without abiding partnership with Jesus, our prayer life withers. And so we get under the pressure of our own sort of due diligence and self, self-effort, and then we start to feel frazzled and grumpy and tired, and we miss out on the promises that are being offered. So my hope is that today, you won't miss out on the promises that are being offered. And I'm gonna give you a very, very simple sort of one-point charge at the end of this message that I trust God will use to help you lean into the promises, even those that we have read here in Philippians 4. The question again is this. What barriers are keeping you from resting in Jesus? So I prayed about that question, thinking about this message, and I, I think... I could kind of boil down a lot of the things in my life to sort of two categories. I have external barriers. There's external things that sort of amount to noise that keeps me from resting and keep me from being still. Uh, And those in some ways are a little bit easier to deal with because they're sort of out here and I'm being affected by them, and you are too. But then there's kind of an internal category as well. So I want to just look at those two things with you, the external barriers and the internal barriers that keep us from resting in Christ. And the external barriers or the noise around us, we would say that life in a world of hurry, how do we deal with that? And I want to begin by saying, well, how do we, how do we get there? How do we get so fast? How do we get so fast paced? How do we get so frantic, so full? I recommended last, uh, last week John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. What I'd like to do in this first part is actually, he unpacks a, a pretty long, I'm not going to give you all this detail, but he gives a pretty long description that he talks about like the history of speed in his book. And I want to give just a couple of highlights from that today. John Mark Comer, uh, The, the uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, he goes all the way back to, to the, like 200 BC. When you, you go all the way back to uh, Plautus and the sundials, you see there was this new technology called the sundial that was really starting to disrupt societal stuff. And people were really concerned about what was going on with this. And, and Plautus actually put it into words this way. He said, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish ours. Confound him too who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. I have no concept for the angst that he was feeling. My life has always been carved up into hours and minutes and everything. In fact, especially now and in recent history, we are so synced that if I were to ask you to the minute what time your cell phone says that it is, we would all know to the second what time it is. So here's Plautus in his day saying like, the gods confound the man 
who has, has carved up my day. So I had a little bit of a hard time sort of understanding this culturally, but then I was, I was uh, reflecting on it a little bit, and, and I recognized that I did spend some time in a developing country, significant time, like months, in a developing country when I was in college and experience kind of the cultural shift or difference that comes when people are kind of like in, in that particular culture saying like, hey, it, w- it would go like this. Would you come over to my house? I would say, sure, I'll come into your house. And I would say, what time do you want me to come to your house? We'll come tomorrow. What time tomorrow? Uh, morning. That was like the, the block, morning. Well, morning can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some of you, morning is 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. Some of you don't even know that there is a 4.30 or 5.30 in the morning, you're like 11, 11.30, as far as I can go before noon. Uh, and so I would, I would have this kind of like, from my mindset, I would say, well, what, what do you mean by morning? And they would just say, well, dude, like after breakfast. <laughs> okay. So I would just get up and I would do my morning stuff and I would go to their house. And the one time I remember going to the guy's house and uh, I knocked on his door and he's like, what, what are you doing here? I was like, I, I thought we were meeting and he was like, oh, I'm just getting up. I was like, okay, well, this is kind of, uh, and so I said, do you want me to go somewhere? He's like, no, you come in and just hang out at the house and um, I, I, I haven't eaten breakfast yet, so we'll, I'll meet with you after breakfast. And so I would sit and there were no cell phones at that time. So I remember sitting in his house and just kind of being, and, you know, reading or looking around or whatever. Here's the interesting thing about that kind of mindset Nowadays, people in the business world are saying, we've got this brilliant idea. What we really need to do is develop margin into our day. And that was what you experienced in a cultural reality like that. There was margin all the time because there wasn't anything to just fill all of the gaps in. So here we go all the way back to Plautus and the sundial. The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish the hours. I was told after the first service, how many of you have been to the Arboretum lately? How many of you have seen the sundial that's there? It's really quite beautiful. How many of you have used the sundial? Have you actually checked it out? Is it accurate? Far as you know, right? I asked that to the person who was talking to me after the first service. They said, you should really go. I said, uh, I said is it accurate? And they were like, well, it's not set for daylight savings time. <laughs> I said, Fair enough. Fair enough. Fast forward a little bit, you get the 12th century clockmakers. You may know your history to know that St. Benedict in the 6th century, he organized the monastery around seven times of prayer. So you get the monks together and you get them praying at the right time. It was the monks by the 12th century who actually developed the mechanical clock so that they could say, hey, we'll keep all of our prayer schedule on time and we can keep things synchronized with the mechanical clock. In 1370, you, you fast forward a little bit more and you get to the first public clock tower. This is in Cologne, Germany. And the, the crisis that be, people began to grapple with at this point was this, like we're moving out of this sort of seasonal rhythm of getting up with the sun and going to bed when it's dark. And, and there was some nice things about that. For the people at the time, they would say, you know, we, just, we work longer days in the summer because the summer days are longer and then it gets dark and you go to bed. And so there was this kind of seasonal thing. Now the commentary was this. No longer are we up with the sun and the seasons, but we are going when the clock tells me to go. So again, I'm feeling like a bit of a dinosaur when I tell you these stories, but when I went to Penn State University, I didn't have a cell phone, and I actually rarely wore a watch. I actually got accustomed to listening Old Main. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, okay, that sounds like it's quarter after. I should probably hurry and get to class. I mean, it was like such a different time, even within my lifetime. 
Increased efficiency. 1879, Edison invents the light bulb, allowing for work beyond sunset. Here is a fascinating statistic. Did you know that before Edison and the light bulb, the average human being slept 11 hours per night? How many of you slept over 11 hours last night? <laughs> I was like, I'm not admitting that, even if I did. Right, now the average American uh, sleeping is seven hours per night. Fascinating to think through, like, just the difference of this. Commenting on it, John Mark Comer, actually, he says, I used to be impressed by these great men and women of faith when I hear about them. They're praying at four o'clock in the morning and five o'clock in the morning, and then I realized they went to bed at seven. You know? What else are you gonna do? Labor-saving devices change our relationship to everything as technology improves, to travel, to cooking, to communication. I mean, how many of you ate some, something for breakfast this morning? Anything at all? Some of you, most of you, okay. How many of you like built a fire and actually cooked over that fire to whatever? Probably none of you, right? If you did, again, I'd love to hear your story. What, what you do on Sunday morning is fun, but uh, most of us don't. Why? Because labor-saving devices and time-saving. So the, here's the question. Where does all of our time go if we're more efficient than we ever have been before? There was a famous Senate subcommittee finding in 1967. It was told then that by 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week and that 27 weeks out of the year. The big problem that they were trying to figure out in 1967 is what are we all gonna do with all of the leisure that we're gonna have? Fast forward to today, and we all wonder where the time went and why we're all in such a big hurry. I thought about not sharing this quote, but I'm going to. Uh, it was in a movie quote that somebody said, you know, the world got itself in a big damn hurry. And I thought, well, that's inappropriate for me to say from the pulpit, except it's not inaccurate. Because hurry is what the enemy of your soul uses to distract you from the stillness in which we learn to pray. So I thought, maybe not a bad quote. Though I've never said that from the pulpit before. First time for everything. The increase in efficiency and hurry seems to correlate to a corresponding elimination of rest. You get to the digital revolution. Here's the last little history lesson part for you, and thank you for bearing with me with this. 2007... Uh, we have this last one, and of course, that's Steve Jobs holding the first iPhone, right? Uh, Steve jo Jobs unveils the iPhone, infinity in your pocket, Facebook and Twitter emerge right around that same time. Uh, the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,000 plus times a day, unless you count millennial generation. When you count millennial generation, it doubles or goes to the statistical reality of, I just have no idea. You know what I mean? I know it's way more than double that, but I just don't even know how much I'm doing it. That's part of our hurried reality, even in the midst of all of this efficiency. How do we consume? This was from one of the first presidents of Facebook. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That was kind of the digital revolution goal so that now today your attention equals monetization this is the new economy and you are the product 
not the consumer. John Mark Comer kind of concludes all of his things, and he says a whole lot more than this, but he concludes with this. After millennia of slow, gradual acceleration in recent decades, the sheer velocity of our culture has reached an exponential fever pitch. What is the distraction, addiction, and the pace of life doing to our souls? And today I ask you the question, what barriers are keeping you from resting in Jesus. Now, the external things, I actually, I think I would make the argument to you, and then we're gonna get back to Philippians 4. I told you we'd get back there. It was just a long detour. Um, the external barriers, in some ways, just take a little bit of discipline. You know, the problem that we run into with allowing technology to rule our lives, we just never stop to think about what we're actually doing. I guarantee you, if you stop and just think about what you're doing, the the Holy Spirit will even begin to reveal things to you, even this week, that you'll say, why am I doing that? Why am I throwing away all of that kind of time in this direction and that direction when I could be doing other things? Um, So that's, that's an external thing. Like, I'll give you an example. In our house, Uh, We made a decision now a few years ago that we said uh, we're no longer using cell phones as alarm clocks. Uh, we, all, we, we did that because it was convenient, and then we realized that like, that means the last thing I do before I lay my head down to sleep at night is to kind of get caught up on all of the details, demands, all of that kind of stuff of the day, and the first thing that greets me in the morning is the same deal. So I bought an old-fashioned alarm clock, or I dug it out of the attic, because I mean, that's what I, uh, what I used when I woke up this morning. Um, we gotta think through some of these things to deal with our external barriers. But how about the internal barriers? Was that seriously somebody's cell phone? Yes. Yes. We will talk to you after the message. Um, The internal barriers, I think, in some ways are harder. And I'm not gonna talk nearly as long about this except to say this. How many of you can relate to this? Um, You're trying to pray. You're trying to be still. You wanna be still. You wanna be focused. And yet you've got this loop in your mind of just the stuff that's gotta go on, the negative talk, you know, whatever. It's just, it's hard to shut down the things that are running so rampantly in your mind. How many of you would, would say you understand what that means? Okay, yeah, I do too. So our distracted state leads us to this internal conflict. It's not coming from the world out there, but it's from the internal patterns. It's the attention deficit and the endless looping of our own scattered thoughts. This is part of what it means to be alive in 2023. Cue the words now of Paul from Philippians 4. And I think you're going to see something that's kind of interesting here. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That's a good promise. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, here's, just, here's what I want you to catch here. What we've been talking about this, how do we develop and deepen our prayer life? Well, if we're gonna develop and deepen our prayer life, then we've gotta learn to be silent. But we're saying, I don't know how to be silent. And Paul's saying, I'm gonna teach you how to still some things. Learn to pray. It actually cycles in a good way too. 
You see, right now, many of us are saying, I'm not praying because I'm distracting myself with all of these kind of things. Well, you can turn that around and say, I'm not distracting myself anymore because I'm actually learning to pray. By prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. This was such a game changer for me when I realized I could just tell the Lord what I was feeling. Don't be anxious. I said, God, I'm anxious all the time. And he would say, well, let's talk about that. And I started talking, listen, I started just telling him, God, I'm feeling anxious. This is a circumstance, this is the thing, I'm not sure what to do, this is whatever, this is the stuff that feels like it's kind of coming down on me and, I, and I, I feel anxious. God, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated. Like, I, I started to learn God was not nearly as afraid of my emotion as I was. So he's, he's got big shoulders, you know? So I start doing that, all of a sudden I start re- receiving the peace of God. But this is what it says here. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let you re- and thanksgiving, that's important too, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a secret. That is exactly what your friends and family wish they could have. That's what people in this very room would say, if I could really, really have that. And that is something that the world cannot give. So there is this beautiful invitation. Learn to rest. Even in the midst of the busyness and the productivity and all that kind of stuff, learn to have a a quiet soul. That's what we're talking about. In a world that is driving me away from peace, the invitation is to look to Jesus, to know his presence, to rejoice in him, to honestly process anxiety through prayer and through supplication and through gratitude. That's such a big one. Man, it's so hard to remain anxious and frenetic when I'm actually thankful. You know, and I experienced this today. I experienced this today in both of our services to just, to just be able to say, God, thank you for what I'm seeing in the body of Christ. Thank you for a young man who says, I want to just get on my knees before the Lord. That blessed my heart. I don't care who's looking, I just want to be with Jesus. And that blessed my heart. Thank you for people that are praying for one another. Thank you. You see what I'm saying? When I'm in a, a place of gratitude, it's really hard to remain anxious. And here's the thing I realized those verses four through seven, that's how you quiet the external noise. In the craziness of the world, just go to four through seven. Make this a, be, a, be a Philippians four kind of prayer to say, God, I need to quiet the external noise. Here's right here how you do that. And the second part shows you how to get rid of the second part, of the internal noise. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That loop that you can't shut off in your mind, your mind is already focused on these things. So scripture comes in and Paul, Paul writes this. He says, I want you to, this is an act of your will now. You're gonna say, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning the discipline of focusing my mind on things that are good and praiseworthy and right and excellent, etc." That takes work. That takes effort. That's why we avoid it. 
But as we begin, just like anything that is worthy, worth doing, any discipline that is worth, we begin to grow in that discipline. We begin to quiet the internal noise. Your attention and your thought life matter deeply. So the tools of Jesus, I was gonna do all three of these today and I heard very clearly um, as I, this morning. I, I got up and I was praying and uh, I sensed the Holy Spirit to say, do one of these, not three of these. Okay, so my schedule just got messed up for the next three weeks. No problem, it's all good. The tools of Jesus, silence, solitude, and Sabbath. If you wanna pray like Jesus, and this is your challenge today, embrace silence in a world of noise. Let me just note a couple things with you and then we're gonna, we're gonna wrap this thing up here in just a few minutes. A couple things I note about Jesus. I look at him, I look at his life, I look at the way that he ministered, look at the way that he withdrew and spent time with the Father. His ability to pray and his need to withdraw. Jesus decided as he's ministering out of his Holy Spirit-filled humanity in this world that the best thing that he could do would be to withdraw and to be quiet and to be with the Father. And so he consciously removed himself from the crowds. The second thing I notice is his ability to love unlovable people. That's very rare in this world today. The, second, the next thing I see in Jesus is his ability to find communion with the Father even in the midst of a world of need. He, Jesus was so busy. He had so many people that wanted him, the crowds, if they heard he was going to a place, they ran to that place to be with him. And yet in the midst of a world of need, Jesus is finding communion with the Father. And then this one really stood out to me, his ability to remain silent when he was accused or opposed. That's what the prophet Isaiah said he would do. That's what he did, even when he went to the cross. So I was just thinking about this, that connection. If, if you learn to be silent and to be still before God, it actually helps you even in those kind of circumstances. For example, A.W. Tozer said it this way. Uh, I've got a little quote on the screen, and I'll read you a little bit more. He says, as long as you set yourself up as a little God, to which you must be loyal, there will be those who will delight to offer an affront to your idol. How then can you hope to have inward peace? The heart's fierce effort to protect itself from every slight, to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend and enemy, will never let the mind have rest. And that's what we're talking about today. Continue this fight through the years and the burden will become intolerable. Yet, he says, the sons of the earth are carrying this burden continually, challenging every word spoken against them, cringing under every criticism, smarting under each fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred before them. Such a burden as this is not necessary to bear. Jesus calls us to his rest, and meekness is his method. The thing that strikes me about this is, first of all, the world can't give that kind of peace. The world can't give that kind of direction. That is found in Christ, and yet there is a gap between learning that and really knowing it. Almost every one of you would say, I agree with that, and almost every one of us is gonna struggle on one level or another to not always have to defend ourselves. Two examples I'll give you to encourage you on your journey, and then the one simple challenge is this. Where can you eliminate noise to rest in God 
and to pray without hurry. Two examples. Number one, the devil loves noise. I'm not the first person to say this, but we are making his job really easy. When you, when you live to the hilt, distracted, running, scrambling, just up to your eyeballs in noise, 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 internal noise, external noise, we make his job so easy. In fact, in screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis' book, Screw Tape writes this, he says, hell has been occupied by noise. Noise, the great dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant and ruthless and virile. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. I think C.S. Lewis knew a little something about the enemy's strategy, and I wonder what he would think about our world today. Number two, God speaks in the silence. This is why we gotta get comfortable with it. Listen, I talk to a lot of young people. I know that the silence is scary. I've talked to people, I don't fully understand this, but I listen and I don't say this judgingly or with a critical eye, but I talk to young people who tell me all the time, I, am, I don't wanna be alone. I don't wanna be quiet. That feels really terrifying to me. And with compassion, let me just say, the aloneness and the quietness and the stillness is so integral to what God wants to do in you that if you can screw up the courage to say, I'm gonna kind of face that fear and go after it and then learn over time how it is to be quiet and to be still before him, the world can open up to you. And I'm still learning that myself. Elijah in 1 Kings 19, you remember he's all discouraged, he's despondent, he's fearful, I'm alone, he's moping, you know what I mean, there's no one else, just me. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, get up, you need to eat some food, and he goes through, he says, now you need to go, the, the presence of the Lord is gonna pass by this cave, and you, you probably know that story, if not, read 1 Kings 19 uh, sometime here in the next, uh, the next days. There's a big storm that goes by and the big fire that goes by and the big wind that goes by and all of these things and the voice of God was not in those things. And then we get this ancient Jewish historical piece of this ancient prophet, discouraged, despondent, and then he finally encounters the word of the Lord and it comes in the still, small voice in the whisper. So you tell me, how are we gonna go grow in prayer if we're hurrying all the time? And how are we gonna grow in prayer if our world is full of noise? In the coming weeks, I wanna talk with you about solitude and Sabbath, two other very important tools that we see from Jesus himself. The challenge very simply is this. Where can you eliminate noise to rest in God this week? And I want, to, I want you to take this seriously, if you would. Just take this seriously. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, make a commitment. I think half of you, the Holy Spirit's already shared something with you to say, why are you spending all your time on this stuff? You know what I mean? You got your noise, 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 noise. So you already know what the commitment is. Make the commitment. That's number one. Number two, tell somebody about that commitment. Tell your friend, tell your roommate, tell your spouse, tell, you know, tell somebody because that's what keeps us from saying, well, some, at some point, I, we want to actually go after this. That's why I think the Lord is saying one thing, just one thing. It's about silence. It's about eliminating noise. 
That's the one thing. And then the last part of that is embrace the process. You are probably not gonna be very good at this to begin with. Just deal with it. That's okay. That's good. You're gonna learn. Don't underestimate the things that God puts in place when you're 20 years old, when you're 30 years old, when you're 15 years old. See what I'm saying? God begins to put you in a process and you're gonna see him do things over time. You're gonna learn to be still, you're gonna be learn to quiet, and you're gonna learn to pray. We'll pick up on the rest of it next week and we'll keep going. I want the worship team to come on up and, and lead us. Thank you for indulging a message that's a little different here today. Thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit and trust that he will lead you well. Um, I want you to stand if you would, please. I wanna just say a prayer for you. If you can receive that, uh, in a spirit of, you know, receiving from the Lord. Uh, Jesus, we are grateful today. This is your day. This is your time. Um, some of us maybe came in here scrambling and running and all of that kind of stuff, and, and we get that. There's a, there's a busyness to life that many of us will encounter. Many of us will encounter that this week. I pray, God, that you would give us a special grace to breathe deeply and to be unhurried, even in the midst of doing a lot of things. I pray that you would teach us the pace and the journey that Jesus would have us be on. And I just wanna pray this very specifically. Um, that invitation to rest for somebody here, that may be the best inroads to the gospel you have ever heard, right? Because religion will not give you this. Your own effort will not give you this. When Jesus says, come to me, those who are heavy burdened, heavy laden and burdened, I'm gonna give you rest. That is such a beautiful expression of what he actually does for us in the gospel. When fears are stilled, when strivings cease, when the finished work of Jesus is prominent and preeminent, and this is what you do with it. You humbly come into his presence and you say, thank you. Because I couldn't do this on my own. And I couldn't be here on my own. The King of kings, the Lord of lords comes and says, I'm gonna do the finished work for you. I'm gonna call you into that finished work. Your job is to receive it. Your job is to rest in it. I think that's one of the most beautiful gospel invitations that Jesus would say, come and rest in me. So Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to do that. We have sin that keeps us from you. We confess that, plain and simple. We know we fall short. We believe in the finished work of Jesus and his perfect record for us. And I, God, I pray that every person that hears this message today, whether they are in this room or they are at home or online or they're listening to this message years down the road, God, I pray that each one would be able to say, I will find my rest in you. And God, you will bring so much more. So thank you for the special time with you today. Thank you that even now we can say we rest in you.
We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.